Okay, welcome to The Garden Pod. We've got a good one for you today. Um, we are talking with a lady called Elizabeth Jarman, who is an expert in learning spaces and communication-friendly spaces, and she's been helping us here at Garden in thinking about how we design our spaces, uh, place furniture in places to really aid well-being and the learning of our students. Um, it's a really interesting talk. There's lots and lots to, um, to get into here. Really good for teachers, I think it's really good for parents, um, and pretty good for, for students too, why not? Um, anybody can listen to this. Uh, Elizabeth's website is in the show notes, and a few of the resources she mentions are also in the show notes, if you're interested in that. Um, and then finally, I think, before we, before we proceed, um, please, please do listen, and if you like what you hear, please share, um, and you can leave comments uh, and rate the podcast if you want to as well. Uh, via iTunes or SoundCloud, um, we make these things for people to listen to. So it'd be great if you if you shared the shared the love and um, if you like it, send it to someone else. All right, enough from me and enough about that. Let's hand over to Elizabeth John. And we are going. Okay. Um, Today we've got with us a special guest who's come from the UK, travelling around Asia and doing some work in the Middle East, I think as well, um, the, the great Elizabeth Jarman, who's an expert in learning spaces, so let's get straight into that. Elizabeth, um, maybe you could just give us a brief overview about what you do. Okay. Well, my area of expertise is, of course, helping a whole variety of partners, not just schools, review the way that they use their environments to really support learner engagement. And I do that through delivering consultancy and through delivering training and helping the people to audit learning environments to identify areas for development. Great. And you've been now working with us. This is the second year, isn't it? It is. This is my return visit. So we've been involved in looking at progress so far and identifying further areas for development. And I've been delivering a lot of um, staff training this week and also some parent parent workshops as well. Great. It's great to have you here. Um, we've also got Joe Rice in the room who is co-hosting today. Hi, Joe. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Joe is the head of EYC and our deputy head in the primary school and is really leading in the school on, on the learning spaces and learning environments and working very closely with Elizabeth. Um, I'm intrigued, Elizabeth, how did you get into this? How did you find yourself in this space? <laughs> okay. Well, my background is in teaching. I taught for many years in the UK. I was then an advisor for a local authority in London specialising then in, in parental engagement programmes, um, which was a very exciting um, aspect of my work. And then that led me into working for the Department for Education and Learning and Skills Council, developing a wide range of materials and training programmes for teachers. And after a while, I really started thinking about the relevance and importance of, of considering where those materials or those intervention programs were actually delivered and if we thought more carefully about the environments um, where students were were learning from those materials we might be able to increase the opportunity for engagement. Um, There was a real move particularly in the UK at that time about 15 years ago to invest in and to review 
the use of school spaces. So there was a big initiative called Building Schools yeah, for the Future, yeah, yeah. and I was I was quite involved in in briefings um, with that team, and then of course the Primary Capital Program um, came into play um, with funding available to remodel primary school spaces, and so they were really key initiatives in helping people to tune into the value and importance of um, an informed environment. What we were finding was people might be updating schools, but they were sticking to the same footprint. It was just a case of painting them or um, you know, um, making them, them look shiny and new, but the actual fundamental um, floor print was the same. And I just felt it was important that we took account of a wide range of new research to really think about what students today need mm. and not just to default back to the same old way of creating learning spaces but to look with fresh eyes and that's really what I help people to do to blend together what research shows us in terms of how we can interpret that in, and create effective learning spaces. So you use the term evidence-driven mm. spaces which I really yeah. like. Joe, maybe we come to you perhaps from a garden point of view why have we why have we decided to bring Elizabeth in to work with us I think the starting point was the fact that we'd had some structural changes at EYC um, so we'd gone for a more free flow approach um, to link with the EYFS and development matters can but I just we, stop sorry yeah. um, there's some people out there who may not understand some of those acronyms so okay. EYC is yeah. early years center yes. EYFS is early years foundation yeah. stage curriculum yes. so we're talking about three to uh, five-year-olds yeah but well, yeah. we actually take children from um, the term they turn three up until five when they come over to main campus for year one so at the early years center we're a separate site um, just over a kilometer away um, so we're our own self-contained unit um, we are a stacked unit, so we have nursery on the ground floor and then reception on the, on the next two floors. The, the walls came down, um, and so it was a case of looking at those spaces. We suddenly had these very big spaces, and how can we maximise the space to support the learning of the children? So that's where um, Elizabeth became involved. So we got in touch with Elizabeth. Um, Elizabeth, could you talk through some of the qualities maybe when you're looking to work with a school what sorts of things are you looking at because you obviously travel all over the world so how do you find <laughs> find schools to, to build partnerships yeah. with I guess really um, to be honest most schools contact me um, and that indicates a readiness to really embrace a different style of review and I think that's a really important starting point that typically if a school contact me, their senior leadership team is going to be on board. And that is always um, an essential ingredient for long-term effective change. And that strategic direction for the way that the environment will evolve over time um, plays a really key part. And so the fact that I was going to come over here and work with everybody, um, not just as a quick fix or um, on a short-term basis, really uh, made me interested in wanting to work with you. 
and of course now on my repeat visit um, doing briefings focusing on how we build on the practice that has started to evolve already in the early years um, department into um, key stage one and also doing more general briefings um, for colleagues from the secondary part of the school as well so that we can begin to put in place the strategic strategic direction to look at a whole school approach mm. is where um, what I'm really interested in. Mm. Um, and that ultimately is when you're going to get um, consistency right the way through the school, inside and out in terms of the environment, um, and, and that kind of long-term change that we're looking for. So this matters as much for an 18-year-old or a, or a teacher as it does mm. for the, for the three-year-old. That's a key message for today, isn't it? Yes. That whole school approach. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I think everybody is affected. You know, we know as adults we're all affected by environments where we spend time. And so this absolutely is not just an early years thing. It is absolutely just as appropriate for, um, you know, post-16 yeah, yeah. um, learners as well. Great. So that's been one of the key focuses for this visit, looking at the progress that's been made lower down the school, but really thinking about that transition, that physical transition as they move from one site to another site and supporting children through that transition and looking at the approach that we are taking here to support those children coming through. Mm -hmm. Not only those children coming over from EYC, but also children who are transitioning into the school new at different points. So it's developing that, that whole school approach and raising the profile with staff that it's not just for the early years. The environment has an impact on, on all of us, staff included. Um, yeah. So before we get into the, um, the nuts and bolts of what a space can look like, because I think we may have been guilty of this in the past as well, okay, let's buy a plant, or let's put a rug down and that'll... That, that makes it look that nice. Uh, but you're very much coming from a background of research yeah. and understanding about the brain and why learning space matters to learning and well-being. Absolutely. And I wonder, that seems like a good starting yeah. point. To, to what, what, what research tells us about that? We have been spending um, quite a lot of time this week considering the emotional climate that you're creating in school. And we know the negative effects of cortisol and raised cortisol levels in the brain in terms of learners' readiness to be able to engage. And if we don't get the emotional climate right for children, then you can more or less forget everything else. It's absolutely essential that children feel emotionally secure here. And there are lots of practical things that we can do to help um, with that in terms of using the environment. I also think in terms of the, uh, relationship, the relationship with parents is critical in supporting that transitional process and quite often we need to review our practice around that and ways that we can support the whole family for longer through the transitional process to make sure that both parents and children are feeling connected to the environment and also feel that sense of belonging. Um, so we do a, I do a lot of work helping people think around personalising the environment so that learners feel that visible sense of connection with the space. So things, practical things that you've already started to do here, images of families um, around the um, Key Stage 1 unit or the Early Years unit become a lovely provocation, a talking point, and that visual connection between home and here. Having said that, though, um, we, we also know the impact of cortisol within adolescent years as well, and that, that transition... Um, 
between year six and seven is also an absolutely critical one when actually parts of the brain at that point double in size. So lots of things happening in terms of brain development at that point coupled with um, hormonal changes for young people and a different sense of perception and pressure around peers as well. So it's really important that we scaffold children emotionally during those particularly significant times. And it's also interesting, I've been doing some work with another school with older students and their reaction to those connections between home and school at that point was quite different and they wanted a sense of detachment almost mm-hmm. um, at that point. They didn't necessarily want to see their families around the school um, because they said this is all about us now. Yeah. And so it's about interpreting um, the research in a developmentally appropriate way and also responding to what your individual children need, acknowledging that it's not we're not talking about the same, um, perhaps in secondary, as you might see in early years. It's about being responsive to the needs of your learners at different stages. You're kind of asking the same questions. Hmm. Yeah, what's, what makes them more comfortable? What makes them more ready to learn? And that's where I think pupil voice is very important with that. So when Elizabeth's been here, she's been working with some of our year one, two children to get their their thoughts and their feedback on the sorts of spaces they would like. Would you like to feed? Yes, I think I think that's that's a key part of um, the development of any environment. Really trying to understand the learner perspective. What's it like to be a child here? And we need to understand that in order to interpret how children respond. And it's really important that we find time to genuinely seek out their views and opinions. So yesterday we did some activities um, trying to find out what they thought. And predominantly um, feedback from some of the children involved words like, um, we like it to be comfortable. A lovely quote from one little boy was, you can learn and be comfortable at the same time. Um, so, So particularly looking at that softness in the environment, And we know from from research um, at Harvard University in the States the importance of softness in environments because that helps to support emotional independence. So when you say softness, Mm. do you mean texture or do you mean colour? Texture, um, probably both actually, but texture is very important. Being comfortable... You know, not, and I think this is um, where the work, my work starts to really begin to challenge historical, stereotypical thinking about environments. Traditionally, we've had that footprint that I talked about, we've had uh, a standard set of desks and chairs in environments. And once we start looking at what it's like to be a learner in here all day, and we start getting feedback from our learners about the need for comfort, the need for texture, the need for softness, that that makes us really begin to question the furniture that we've got in some of our environments. And there's a huge amount of research as well about the importance linked to brain development of physical um, learning and how your your environment challenges children physically. So we really need to look at less static opportunities for learning and incorporate the opportunity for some more mobility. So we need to look at things like um, not just the chairs and tables, but we need to offer learning opportunities so children are standing, so they are kneeling, so they're developing core strength, so they might be on the floor. And of course, when you start looking at that, you've got to look at comfort as well. So this is super relevant in early years, isn't it? And then I always find that people become more reluctant about these things as the kids get older. Um, and I think that's sometimes driven by the exam system that we get within the secondary school. But what we're advocating here, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, is actually these these ideas are as true for 
for the older kids as they are for the younger and we don't oh now they're mature now they're ready to do proper um, quotation marks proper learning um, then we don't need to but that, that's not true is it no abs- absolutely not um, and it's really really interesting um, yesterday when we did some um, a session for parents some of their feedback um, also looking at the way that their um, children um, learn at home as well and mm. some of the, their favourite contexts at home which are not table and chair based yeah. um, you know they like to get comfortable and also when you look at the changes in terms of the technology that we're using you know it's all about mobility it's about being able to learn anywhere and so it's not just restricted to that static um, table and chair offer that's a great little survey we could do actually isn't it with our secondary school kids how do you learn at home where do you sit what, do you, what does that look like yeah. yeah that's a good idea absolutely so does the, does the environment here support that yeah. and, I, and I think that the environment needs to connect with yeah. the home context that's one of the things that can really um, support transition as well that makes sense also in terms of staff, I think some of the conversations we've had with staff are what sorts of environments do they feel more comfortable working in in terms of thinking about the light and the colour and the noise. They're things that impact us as a staff working in spaces too. Absolutely. Um, we've been, I've been sharing lots of research around the importance of considering natural light where possible. Um, children progressing more quickly in naturally lit spaces. Um, there's lots of research in the States about that. Also, the benefits in terms of mood, in terms of behaviour, in terms of well-being. Um, in terms of colour, that's always a really challenging area to unpick because there's a lot of stereotypical thinking around the use, particularly of bold, bright primary colours yeah. in schools. So let's let's get yeah. into that. Right? So, <laughs> so I, I would say, when you think of it, if we ask somebody, a parent, anybody, um, to think of a classroom. I would imagine that there's going to be rows of desks or groups of desks around the room, some displays with nice crepe paper borders, bright yellow, green, blue or red backgrounds, maybe some student work. If you go into a primary classroom, quite often it's, it's an assault on the senses. There's just stuff everywhere. Hanging displays. Hanging down, yeah. you know, all right. sorts of those. Across kind of, the windows. And that was always kind of seen at is a good thing, or at least like a badge of honour for the teacher. Hey, look at my room. You've really come in and, and challenged that. Yeah. Do you want to maybe talk to us about Abs- what? Absolutely. Um, you know, th- we, we know a lot more today about the way that colour affects behaviour, mood, atmosphere. We know there are certain colours to avoid. Mm. Um, we know that bright red, that's a colour that actually, when you're surrounded by it a lot, will not only put your blood pressure up, but raises your heart rate as well. It's a physical... So you have a physical reaction to that. Um, we also know that there are certain colours that we can use in a quite targeted way to help you feel calmer. So um, pale blue is one of those colours. It's a cool, calm colour. Greens, but not lime green. That also seems to be a colour that is quite natural and soothing and relaxing, as are more neutral colours. And so it makes complete sense that we apply that thinking to our learning contexts. Also, we know a lot more about the way that the brain can process sensory information. And quite often, our environments unwittingly become absolutely full of sensory overload, um, which just overwhelms children. It makes it feel very busy. It can make them feel quite agitated. And some of that display that sort of becomes like wallpaper, which is floor to ceiling, 
can also become quite inaccessible when there's too much information going on. There's interesting research that was done at Carnegie University in Pittsburgh um, in 2014 that tracked children's progress in visually busy environments, and it was in the less cluttered environments that children progress more quickly. And so we really need to be applying some of that research, some of that knowledge, and create good choices. We need to create environments that have been informed by good choices. Um, and that challenges traditional thinking, and that does sometimes make people feel a bit uptight and uncomfortable because this looks different now to how it was when I went to school. Um, but I think that that's the beauty of this. It's about encouraging people, teachers, parents to keep thinking and keep learning. We don't know all there is to know about environments even now, and we have to have this attitude of inquiry. And that's also something that I really try and nurture through my work, yeah. um, that constant questioning to make sure that we're absolutely getting it right for, for our learners. So do you come across much challenge? And, and I'm thinking more from a primary teacher here who's, who's spent the time doing that display and hanging that washing line. And, oh, but I can, and intuitively, it makes sense. I, I've got this display, and that helps me with the English... I've got the alphabet type stuff there. I've got my maths um, stuff there that I can go to. I've got some student work and celebration there. I've got this washing line with key phrases hanging down. I can use all of this in my classroom. Um, but you're suggesting that that's not the way yeah. we should be thinking. Yeah, on, on my website, there's um, a half an hour TV program that addresses exactly that. Um, you know, and I, and I think that's probably worth watching if yeah. people are interested in, in finding out a bit more um, about the contrast and about a fresh way of thinking. I think for too long, we've just carried on the way that we have always yeah. in terms of creating spaces without much questioning, without much real thinking, critical thinking. And I think it's overdue mm. <laughs> um, that, we, that we really need to look with fresh eyes and research to make sure that, that we're using all that's available to support our children. Yeah. I'll put a link to that. Um, yes, please that's do. That's from Teachers TV, isn't it? It was from Teachers TV, TV um, probably about 15 years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's a head teacher, is it? Yes. Sort of, I remember yes. watching this weekend yes. last time. Yeah. And I'm thinking, that guy does not come out of this well. <laughs> so if you want to see a car crash and a, a head teacher talking to Elizabeth and really getting put in his place, that's well worth, well worth watching. Um, I'll put the link on the, on the show notes. Um, uh, jo? Um, a lot of the, what we've been talking about this morning has focused on indoor spaces. Um, at the early years, we've moved forward in our outdoor spaces as well, and that's been a big focus for us in developing those outdoor spaces. Um, how does that translate to main campus? I always try and get people to see the whole space as one, inside and out. And quite often that's an overlooked context, and yet quite often the preferred context for, for many learners. Um, so we've been looking particularly at the missed opportunities around the site here, the dead spaces, um, which could perhaps be developed quite easily um, to encourage um, places to gather, to group. One of the um, key bits of feedback from um, some of the children that we've been working with are that they want areas where they can sit and chat, particularly at lunchtime. One of the observations from staff 
yesterday when we were talking around this was at lunchtime, children wanting to get away from the noise. Canteen. Um, by the canteen area and also areas where lots of football and ball games go on. Where are the alternative places for children to retreat to? Um, and I think that you know, you're on a busy, bustly campus, so we need to be thinking around offering um, smaller spaces, places where children can retreat to, places that really facilitate conversation. And of course, the environment outside can really support that as well, um, because learning doesn't just take place inside. Um, we're also going to be doing some training later today looking at more focused specific learning spaces that absolutely connect to your vision for learners that connect inside and outside perhaps considering more zoned areas that can be permanently set up with open-ended resources that children can use um, creatively to enhance some of the learning that's taking place inside so the outside is a really really important part of the the picture and yet often is, is one of the most overlooked ones. And certainly the developments that you've made over at the Early Years Unit, you, you've seen some real impact in terms of engagement and communication, haven't you, Jo? Yeah, that's really come through. In the, the spaces that we've developed, there's um, much more of an emphasis on using loose parts, on developing that creativity within the children. So when we're looking at the progress that children are making, particularly in terms of that active learning and that engagement, the children are engaged for sustained periods of time, for longer periods of time. And there's also this not as much of a frenzy. It's more focused. The children are more focused and engaged. They're communicating with each other. They're negotiating. They're problem solving. So it's setting up these different opportunities that they can then take their learning further. And the, the level of play and language has absolutely uh, increased. It's so the EYC is a very open environment yeah. and children can move through that environment with a lot of choice yeah. and you set things up for them to interact with and, yeah. and with quite some deep thinking and that's a whole other podcast yeah. I think. Um, but what since Elizabeth's been here, what does that look like now in the EYC to perhaps what it looked like before? What, can you give us some examples of some changes that have been made? outdoor space in particular so we've looked at developing um, the sandpit area with the introduction of water and a water wall so you're seeing those those reasons to negotiate the children are actually communicating more openly with each other there are more opportunities for problem solving we've got as I say loose parts like crates and um, tires and planks and they're building their structures are getting more and more imaginative which in terms of managing their risk in terms of that physical development we've got some heavier pieces that they're having to move around and even with some of the smaller things um, we've gone for lots of natural open-ended resources so really moved away from the plastic pebbles rocks small twigs and just seeing the creativity that they're using with that and the way that children are becoming engaged and that degree of compromise and some of these amazing towers the children have been building so we've got the wooden blocks that they're different shapes and then they're placing the figures or the animals or the the twigs that they're it's that level of creativity so we also do our jungle school and that's then coming back they're bringing things back with them that they're then using in the in the outdoor environment. And then in terms of the indoor environment, we've been really looking at finding smaller spaces, creating smaller spaces. We have very, very high ceilings, so staff have been working to think about how they can lower some of those ceilings and make some of those, those mm. smaller spaces. 
Um, anything that you'd noticed in particular from because obviously you were here in March and then coming back in May the following the following year. year yeah um, I, I think when I when I came came back this time um, the outside particularly struck me as, as having been a big area of development and and I think that that the other thing is that development has to happen with understanding so it's not just a case of we're going to get a load of crates in and blocks mm. um, and we're, because anybody could do that we're not talking about a visual makeover here we're talking around a real connection between what your environment is offering and your pedagogy your approach your vision and that requires quite a lot of staff thinking and discussion so that the changes you make um, spring from from that 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 connection and also really that review of practice how do I operate with all of this open-ended stuff what's my role now it's it's a it's a shift from perhaps more of a prescriptive um, style of teaching and learning to more of a facilitation role and I think that the reflection in terms of of, of practitioner role teacher role um, was really significant when I went um, went went around the EYC the other day, and that was in fact our starting point from the, the visit in March. It was that reflection on pedagogy. What do we want for our children? Well, okay, if this is what we want, mm. how are we going to get it, and how is the environment going to support us with yeah. that? So that was very much the first step, um, and that was the big focus last academic year. So that when we went into this academic year, we already had that vision of what we were all about, mm-hmm. and so it meant as a staff team we had that overarching shared goal so we all had that that end in mind of what we wanted to wanted it to look like and I think that is what then allows you to build on the review of the environment onto the main campus and right the way through the school because you have a consistent pedagogy Mm. and the environment different ages needs to be supporting that and learn from your experience and when you walk into EYC um, you notice, definitely notice a few things. There's not an assault on the sense that it's by colour. Mm. It's very sort of almost sort of Scandinavian, <laughs> soft textures and colours, lots of sort of browns and sort of um, environmental type greens mm. and those kind of colours. And you definitely see those different heights of things and the little cubby holes and places that they can, the kids can explore, um, which is something that we're hoping to take up into primary and secondary. So maybe on that note, a primary classroom around middle primary, so year four, um, what what would you knowing our pedagogy and knowing our sort of beliefs around learning what should we be seeing within those classrooms what should we be thinking about perhaps in a, in a middle primary classroom I think, I think that um, we need to be looking at um, alternative contexts for learning different contexts offered in terms of um, not just the table and chairs mm. you know we can offer maybe in each classroom, four different opportunities. So you could have the comfortable rug with with cushions and so on, so this is a floor-based opportunity. You can have the table and chairs. You can have maybe introducing even stools. We know that research shows us that that helps to develop core strength when you're on a stool in a different way to if you're just on a chair. So having having standing spaces, having kneeling spaces, so you're offering learning in different ways um, so that there is a choice for our learners, so it's not just that notion that you sit in your chair all day long. 
because we know the negative effects of static learning in terms of the brain switching off. Um, and that's, that's, that's a really important point that we need to be looking at what that, that research shows us and then layering that on top of our current offer as part of your audit process. And that will help to identify um, you know, those different, different opportunities. And if you try it out, I always encourage people, pilot it, have a go, see what happens, what do you notice as a result? And that whole piece around looking at the impact that the environment has and those changes is really important to capture because we've got to work out what works for your children. Yeah. And so that means that each school I work with take this forward in a slightly different way. And that's absolutely appropriate. So you have to be willing to accept that there'll be an experimental phase mm. where it might not quite look how you want yeah. it to look. Absolutely. Mm. And the environment has to evolve. It's never done. Mm. It's never um, fixed. It always has to be reviewed. It has to be responsive. It has to remain dynamic and in, aligned with, with, with the children that you're working with now. And what works for one cohort of children isn't necessarily going to for another. Yeah. And that's where the expertise of the teacher has to kick in their observational skills, their knowledge, um, to inform the decisions they're making about the environment. Okay. I think there's a few things there, isn't there? There's, there's the context making it relevant and appropriate for your context with your children, making sure that you're getting that student voice in there, that they're having that that input and that ownership over the environment and really thinking about who we are and what we want for our children. So we have our learner skills, we have our learner statements and it's going back to those and thinking, well, how can we actually use the environment to further drive those with the children? Mm. The transition from home to school is an interesting discussion. I know you talked a lot about that last time. Um, and what kind of furnishings or things we can do in the rooms to help that. So down in the early years you talked about, or year one you talked about sort of family photos and so on. What might that look like for a 14-year-old then? Because you said, you know, a 14-year-old adolescence, they, they don't want to necessarily think about home as their space. So is, is there still importance placed on that? Is there things we can do to help them? In terms of the environment, definitely. I mean, and yeah. I think that that's really where that pupil voice really, um, you know, does kick in. Mm. It's really, really important. And also, I would say, let's do an audit of where are the places that they are drawn to naturally around school. So already we know that the library is a hot spot. That's where a lot of students are drawn to. And I'd be wanting to look at what are the spaces then in there and how is that different? Why is that such an attractive place for them to spend time when they have choice? Is it to do with the fact there are com there's comfortable seating? Is it that's a different configuration there? Is it more set up for discussion? Um, where are the places outside that they spend time? So the changes that you might make come from an observational starting point yeah. about how your learners are interacting with the space at the moment and what we can take from that to factor into our thinking around you know, the kind of space that we might create for some of those older students. Yeah. So would you advocate then starting fairly small with some sort of trial classrooms or trial areas before, you know, for the, for the leaders, school leaders? I know what the answer to this is going to be, throwing your, your entire budget a complete refurb. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that people need to gain confidence around the use of the environment. It's a big challenge. It pushes people outside of their comfort zone. Yeah. Um, some people find it more challenging than others. Um, and, and so I think, I think it's important that people see, ah, oh, yes, I can see that this is working for our students here. I can, I can take from that. And that's certainly the approach that you've taken here, isn't it, Joe? Yeah. You've been already doing some pilots in the primary looking at, at different strands of this. Yeah. So part of our focus group is part of our, our professional learning community groups. Um, 
they've been working, choosing an element, maybe it's colour, light, noise, and actually trialling things out within their year group or within their department. So I know one of the teachers in music, for example, did a lot of work on light and turning off the strip lights, making sure the blinds were open, and then she had a smaller light in the corner and she was getting the, the feedback from the children and that was a really positive um, feedback that she was getting and also that connection with the space um, the children were saying that they wanted to have photos of themselves in the space with their instruments and so they're linking themselves to that to that space and having that, that sense of ownership so different uh, pockets have tried different things and that's been very powerful in I tried this this really worked. This, mm, not, not so good with these children. And getting, again, that pupil feedback. Year six have done a whole range of Google Forms um, to find out that feedback from the children. And it's also battling against some of the stereotypes. So some of the children almost have, oh, they want me to say this. So in one classroom, there's this great big debate over the teacher desk because the, the teacher was saying, oh, you know, do you think I need a desk or shall I get rid of the desk? And the children were like, no, you're the teacher. You need a desk because that's what teachers have. So you're battling against some of these preconceived ideas from the children as well because we're talking about muted colours, but the children were saying, well, it's primary school. You, you need to have a bright colour because that's what primary school is, is about. You're limited by your own experience. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> Which is where with the younger children, they don't have that. So they will come out with your wacky ideas that you can really sort of... We did some A-B testing in the library, which was quite interesting with Jenny. So she was looking at using already what she had in the furniture um, uh, and trying different things. So she set up an A area and a B area and she just watched where the kids went to. Oh, right, that one works better, so let's try now that one and this other one. And that, that was a really interesting test. And, and that, yeah, and they do gravitate to where they want to be. It makes a lot of sense. Um, I've, we're going to wind it up, I think. But, Joe, maybe just have a think if there's anything last you want to cover. I've got two questions. Um, one of them is a bit random, but I watched this documentary. I think it was made by Singapore American School, who, are, who do all sorts of interesting things. And they'd sent some staff off all around the world to see learning spaces and environments and pedagogy, all sorts. They basically want to reimagine their, their curriculum. And they went to a number of um, early years in primary classrooms. Uh, I think it was sort of Reggio-based stuff. Um, and they made a big thing about the texture of stuff that the kids use and how it needs to be real. So yeah. move away from the safe plastic oh. things and, and you know, use glass, use yeah. wood, use metal. To the point where one New Zealand school had a kid up a tree with a power drill. <laughs> and he was like, he was like six years old. He's like, is that taking it too far? But I thought there was some, that was interesting. I, I, do, I do really emphasise the importance of um, the sensory dimension in environments. Um, what we're trying to do through our environments is support the process of sensory integration. And we need to make sure that our environments are appropriately texture rich. Yeah. So we need to be making informed decisions about that in terms of the surfaces that our children are coming into contact with, you know, recognising that that's going to support the development of the tactile sense, for instance. But also I do worry about quite a lot of our children today because I don't think they get enough um, sen rich sensory experience. They don't get enough messy opportunity and they lead quite a sterile kind of lifestyle. So those more um, sensory experiences really make a difference. And I think it's about us sharing our new understanding about how those sensory experiences support all of that um, brain development that we know about from research. We need to be sharing that jargon-free with families because they're really keen to know more. Yeah. Um, 
But I also think we need to be auditing our resource offer in environments and absolutely moving towards those more open-ended things that are going to be maybe authentic, real, real experiences, natural resources that are going to trigger more open-ended, imaginative, um, problem-solving type, type play. You said something there which just clicked another thought. Um, so we've talked a lot about homeschool from the school side of things. Are there things that parents should be thinking about at home which will help that brain development, help that learning, help that comfort, help that emotional well-being within their kids' bedrooms or within the, within the house? Absolutely. We had, I had some really interesting conversations with your parents from um, this school yesterday about bedroom spaces. That was interesting. Um, quite often, they're absolutely um, full of sensory overload as well. And yet, actually, that's meant to be a calm space. It's going to support sleep. Um, or oh, that's one of the functions of it. So that we had some interesting conversations around that. Um, I think decluttering is so important. You know, we... The, the effects of so much clutter around us alters how we feel and also impacts negatively on how independently some of particularly our younger children can, can operate within environments. Um, also, we, we had, had an interesting conversation with one of your parents yesterday. I talk a lot about personalising the environment and so in school having their families represented but also in terms particularly of transition and that connection between the important worlds that I live in as a child, school and community and home, having maybe pictures of my teacher or me in my school environment at home. So again, you're kind of reversing that thinking. So you're building those strong connections and triggering recall, hopefully, about some of the positive things that happen at school. So those very practical things can, can really help. Yeah. And when you're in the toy shop, uh, which is an experience we all love, um, should we be, is it an oversimplification to say with things like kind of toys for, for four or five year olds um, or older that we should be looking more towards those sort of wooden real texturised toys rather than the bright plastic ones, uh, is, that too, is that too simple, is that No, I, you know I always say um, and we've really got to look critically at, at this, the more a toy does the less a child will do and if we're all about trying to encourage uh, imaginative play and thinking and we know that children's language is at its richest in their imaginary world you know if we're trying to encourage that we we really need to look at what our children are using and playing with and absolutely some of those really natural um, free resources are exactly the kind of things that can be used um, you know to stimulate that kind of thinking jungle school great example yeah, of that, yeah absolutely. absolutely just use the natural environment yeah. But also, I would say as well, um, it's, it's not just about the resources. I think the adults are playing a, play a critical role in terms of meaningful interactions with children. And if we go back to where we started and we talked about emotional climates, the role of the parent, the role of the teachers, the practitioners are key in terms of forming strong attachments to children. And that's one of the key things that I think is important that when we're looking at the emotional climate, we're really exploring... Um, you know, whether we're an attachment-friendly organisation. I think that's for another podcast, but is, I, think, yeah. I think the role of that relationship between adults and children um, play, just plays such an important part, and it's why it's so important that we connect home and school mm. and our relationships between all of those people involved in, in supporting children's development. Yeah. And what's coming through loud and clear is that real thinking behind it all. Mm. You know, think about it before you do it. I feel duty-bound to, to ask a sort of very secondary-driven question. Uh, there will be people, there will be teachers out there who this is very much out of their comfort zone. They're, 
they're not really not sure about this idea at all. Mm-hmm. So um, I've heard arguments such as it will um, have a negative effect on behaviour. Um, they need to learn to sort of sit at a desk for their ex- exams. Um, the way that I teach needs them to be listening to me. These are the kinds of arguments that, that would come up, and I think it's worth addressing those, um, because I think the behaviour one is an interesting one. And uh, certainly when I've, when I've taught some year nines and messed around with the environment a bit, initially some behaviour has not been quite where I'd want it to be. But then actually I've personally found that if you persevere and use strategies, then it, it tends to work out. Okay, but I just wondered on your thoughts on how you'd address some of those. It's, it's like anything, anything new. You know, when you introduce some kinds of changes, you don't just do it. There needs to be, you know, you, you use it as a, as a discussion with learners, you explore together. Maybe they could be involved in some, thinking about some of the changes. Maybe they need to know about the research as well behind some of the reasons why you're introducing different contexts. Um, certainly that pupil voice fits in there as well. But then, you know, encouraging that um, ownership of the space, helping them um, create um, decisions around how they're going to be in that space, what's appropriate, what might not be. And so it, it, it's that kind of dialogue that's really important. Certainly anything new is always going to trigger that excited response, so we need to think that through and, and persevere, yeah. and there needs to be that reinforcement and, and reminders. But certainly um, from, from the research point of view, um, you know, there's been a huge amount of research showing the positive benefits in terms of behaviour. Certainly um, research around outside spaces, reductions in, in bullying, for example, um, when the outside de- um, area had been developed, um, more positive attitudes towards learning, um, you know, children happier in, in that school environment, yeah. more engaged, more social interaction. Yeah. And, and so it is important that we, we monitor, we support the changes, but we monitor the impact as well. Yeah. Because ultimately it's got to have a positive impact or it's not worth doing. Mm. That's what I always come back to. Mm. And that's what we're trying to do, have that positive impact by, by reviewing space. But you are right to flag that up. It's a very... It's a very um, different way of working and sometimes people need to experiment with it more in social spaces and shared spaces first and see how that works and over time then begin to make those reviews but I also think when we look at brain development and research about the way that the brain can absorb information there is a limit to how much new information can be yeah. taken in at one time it then needs to be rooted into long term memory so we need to be changing up the way that we actually run our sessions um, um, for our learners. And so sitting for a whole 70 minutes or whatever yeah. and trying to take in new information you know, isn't, isn't well, really we know aligned work, right? with, with, with latest research around yeah. brain development. So we need to be looking at those opportunities for listening, for mm. finding out, for researching, for being more mobile, for having discussions. So mm. we're, we're blending the structure of our lessons in, well, we're aligning it with, with what research shows us. Is there anything out there that might not be yet? I don't know, but has anybody done a study on um, learning environment and these kinds of ideas and um, achievement within high-stakes testing? Um, I'm, not, I'm not familiar, I don't know, I don't know about that. But I think, I think there are research studies happening all the time and yeah. probably um, if you Google, you, yeah, you, yeah, will, you, will, you will find some... The encouraging thing, though, is that more and more people are really thinking about the environment and 
seeing positive impact, whether it's formalised in terms of a formal research study like that, or um, you know more in terms of a case study, um, you know more localised impacts. Um, people are seeing real, real positive change when, when when staff really engage with thinking around the effect that learning spaces can have. Great, Joe. Have you got anything burning? I, I don't think so. I think it's been a fantastic few days so far, and I think the power of having that critical friend who's coming back mm. to a context. So Elizabeth's already familiar with where we are and where we started our journey, and so it means that when on, on this return visit, she's been able to pick up and, and really carry things forward quite quickly. So I think that's been a really powerful experience as a, as a school to have that ongoing partnership. Definitely. So, Can we finish with a little game? <laughs> right, okay, here's the game. Um, so, Joe, you can start. You've got a chance to snap your fingers and like, change anything in our, in our environment like, right now. Yeah. If you can only change one thing yeah. that you think is going to have the biggest impact, what would it be? I think space. It's, we are a, a big school on a relatively small site. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, if you could make whoosh, suddenly a, a lot of space, that would be fantastic. Yeah. Elizabeth, I don't know if you're comfortable talking about our school. If you are, great. But generally in the schools that you've yeah. seen around the world, if there's one thing that you could say, change this now, what would it be? I would say flexibility around routines. Yeah. Not being bound by doing things in a certain way just because that's how we've always done it. Okay. And as an illustration on the back of that... I would also flag up the lunchtime experience yeah. um, for, for learners all around the world yeah. <laughs> because it's one of the most challenging times of the day and sometimes it's because we stick to a set routine. That's yeah. how we do lunch, so that's what they have to get on and deal with. And actually we, start, we really need to start getting a bit more creative and thinking around what it's like to be a child at that point. Yeah. Um, and actually is that genuinely part of our offer, our pedagogy mm. or not? Somebody mentioned that to me yesterday and I thought that was really interesting because I'd never thought about it. Like our canteen, for example, um, is very busy because of the, some of the problems that we have mm. as, on a small site. But then I thought, what's that like for that year two kid Absolutely. who's walking you know, in between everybody trying to carry their food and so on? Mm. Yeah, and we, we haven't thought about that. That's interesting. Okay, can I play as well? Yeah. I'm going to choose one that actually your last visit had a direct impact on my health. So. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, and that was that in our office, and many of the offices we have in school, we have strip lighting. Yeah. Um, and I definitely used to suffer from headaches, quite a lot of work. And you talked about the evils of strip lighting, which we kind of all knew, but never done anything about it. And we replaced in our office uh, the strip lighting with a rather lonely lamp, and it looks a bit sad. Um, but that has stopped headaches, that single thing. So strip lighting is for me. If I could change anything in our school, it would get rid of all the strip lighting and, and replace it. Thank you. Elizabeth, where can people find you online or if they want to sort of book you or, or find out yeah. more about your work? Um, if they want to just Google my name, it will come up. Yeah. Um, there's the website there, contact details. Um, I'm on social media platforms as well, yeah. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, LinkedIn. Great. So, so that's um, Elizabeth Jarman, Jarman spelled? J-A-R-M-A-N. Perfect. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure having you on the podcast today and the work you're doing is fantastic. It's certainly making an impact around our school, isn't it? And um, yeah, we look forward to seeing you again in the future. Thank you very Thanks much. Thanks for listening. Cheers.